25 years of pastoring and preaching for well over 30-something years, 35, 36, 37 years now, somewhere in there. You know, I don't get nervous very often, but I have a little nervous energy inside me today for preaching because I, I, I really like the context of where I'm going to be at today. It's, it allows me to be pastoral, yet it also gives me a little bit of evangelistic play in there as well. And, and then also a little bit of a teaching element. So we're going to only read two verses of Scripture to open the, ser- the, the, the sermon here, the message today. But there'll be quite a few verses of Scripture that we'll sometimes glean through a little bit quickly. But we're going to find Ephesians chapter 5 first and verse number 8 because this was tied to the text last week. And I wanted to, I'm not finished with this. And I won't be finished with it next week either. So when you find Ephesians 5, verse number 8, if you would, stand and honor the reading of the Word of God. And I appreciate, I mean, obviously you don't have to do that. You're choosing to do that to uh, honor the tradition that we hold here at First Assembly. Verse number 8, it's on the screen. Here it says, for ye, always in the King James, so or the authorized version, it says, for ye, which is plural. So he's speaking to collectively. It's not speaking to an individual. So remember that. Anytime I've got King James English up there, these and thys are singular, ye and are plural. So ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. That just resounds in my spirit. It just does. Handle yourself in such a way that reflects the light that you've been in. Isn't that right? Walk as children of light. And, and actually this whole context from chapter 4, uh, a, a verse we're going to get to towards the end of the message, all the way until into chapter 6 is really about Christian character. It's about integrity. It's about how you relate to one another. Reflect what God has done in you. Right? Reflect Live it out. Walk as you're, you are light, so walk as children of light. So now let's go to Psalm 119. It's only 176 verses. I'd like to go ahead and read that now while you're standing. <laughs> but I'm not going to, though I would like to. We're going to only read verse number 130. And I quoted this for you last week, and I want to go ahead and just uh, connect this to, to Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Here it says, The entrance... Of thy words giveth light, giveth understanding unto the simple. And just read that, let it sink in and connect it to Ephesians 5. You are children of the light. What helps bring us into this understanding that we're children of light? The entrance of thy words giveth light, and it giveth understanding unto the simple. And so that's actually from that verse of scripture. I didn't go with a lot of um, creativity in choosing this particular title for my message, but it's simply put, the entrance of thy words give light. So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord. Joe's prayed a powerful prayer uh, already, asking you uh, and asking the Lord to prepare your heart and mind. Let's just kind of connect with that very quickly before you're seated. Father, we love you, and yes, we are honored to be here. Honored by guests, but equally as honored by members and adherents that are here today that have given time, Father, of their busy schedules to allow us to be able to minister the word and yet also that they would bring forth worship and they would bring forth praise unto you. And God, as, as powerful as the worship service has been to this point, it is my sincere desire that God things will, uh, Father, only catapult. It will only move forward. It won't regress. It won't back up. It will simply just help transport us 
into your presence even deeper. And sometimes that's connected to understanding. So I ask this today, Lord, in simple childlike faith in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Thank you so much for your reverence to the Word of God today. So I want to take just a little bit of a moment here as I shared with you the message last week entitled The Children of Light. That was the message title that I chose to minister to. And I also gave you a little bit of a moment of how I felt inspired in my sermon. And I try to be transparent in front of you um, in the sense of um, as a pastor, I don't always preach series of messages that are thought out weeks and months in advance. I do often preach series. Sometimes I preach a series all in one sermon. <laughs> You'll think on that later, Pastor Brown, or Pastor Burton, after I used to preach at MacArthur years ago, when I'd finish, he'd get up and say, thank you for that series, Pastor Brown. And uh, so, but with that said, but it's usually not because it's, I have planned it out weeks and months in advance, but it's because as I have found a stimulus in my spirit through something that I'm either dealing with or related to, or in the Word of God my, uh, myself in prayer and reading and pondering, that from there... I find that stimulus, and I believe that that then becomes the word for this church. Let me give you that example again. Revelation 2 and 3, the scripture says, He that hath an ear, let him hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And that's always the desire of pastors. So it was a couple of weeks ago that while Sister Sherry was away, that Alyssa and I were at home on a Friday night, and we were watching, I was watching and invited her to watch a portion of it with me. And no, it wasn't um, some type of... Uh, uh, boxing match or football or anything like that, but oddly enough, it was a documentary on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I've done a little bit of study on the Dead Sea Scrolls over the years, and I've always enjoyed the information that I had gained. And I kind of shared with you a little bit about this, and I want to kind of give you a little bit more background because it's what I told someone this morning is this that what I'm about to share with you here is not necessarily the message, but it's the backdrop to the message. And it's important for you to kind of understand the backdrop of the message so that when I begin to really narrow it, you'll kind of have a greater clarification to it. So if you take the time, what many uh, believe was the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century was the Dead Sea Scrolls. 1947, outside in an area um, that's just outside of the Dead Sea there, south of Jerusalem, the southern port of Israel, the Judean wilderness, very barren wastelands, a place called Qumran. And there at Qumran, there was, they, they knew that there were sects, S-E-C-T-S, uh, groups of people that had lived there many, many long years ago because their, their, the leftover residue of their homes and houses were there. And you could, excavations could and would take place. But a Bedouin shepherd had lost one of his sheep, and there were caves on the hillsides, and caves on the hillside. He thought one of them might have been in one of those caves, and he picked up a rock, and he threw from the, down below into the cave. And when he, the rock went in, he heard the sound of something breaking. And oddly enough, kind of like Joe said, something unique can happen when something fell and broke in your home, that this cave struck a clay, a clay jar that was there, and he heard the sound of it shatter. And so that, you know, created his, uh, or, or, you know, heightened his curiosity. And he goes in, and he discovers that in that cave is that there are clay containers there with ancient scrolls in them. He doesn't know anything about them, and he kind of, and you can, I won't go into all the details of how he brought it in to, first to Bethlehem, and it was traded, the first scroll was sold for $20. He sold that to a trader there in Bethlehem for $20. 
And then, you know, it began to circulate, and they began to discover, wait a minute, there's more scrolls. Where did these scrolls come from? And then they began to search them out, and they found out that these were a part of a sect, as I said, during the end of what is the, um, the, the last Jewish war, the final Jewish war with the, that was the time of the destruction of the temple, somewhere 64 A.D. all the way up to about 73 A.D. when the final, what they call the final Jewish revolt was put down, the revolt that Jesus himself had prophesied. And so that the, these scrolls were 2,000 plus years old and being sold for $20 at an art gallery there somewhere in, um, in Bethlehem. So, but with it, though, again, it, it, it launched such a, 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 a study to find out what they contained. In those caves, I believe there's 11 caves and there's a total of, if I remember correctly, there's a total of about 800 scrolls that were discovered in the numerous caves, and there was a, um, uh, about thousands of fragments, just fragments of pieces that were discovered as well because all didn't survive 2,000 years of antiquity in the Judean desert, but many, many did. And so many of those now are on display in a museum in Israel, Jerusalem. It's called the, uh, the Israelic Museum in Jerusalem, and when we were there, Joe and uh, Shane, myself, and Dr. Brassfield several years ago, we got the opportunity to go. Now, this, the Israeli Museum is a large complex, so, there, so there's many different buildings and facets to it. We were only there for four hours, so we didn't get to see very much, but we got to see a couple of parts. But there's one particular building I'm going to go ahead and bring up. It's called the Shrine, or excuse me, the Shrine, the Shrine of the Book, and that's it in Jerusalem. And so inside it, we'll see in a moment, but th this is the image outside, but it's been designed specifically to look like the top of the clay jar in which the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And when you go inside of it, even on the inside of it, it's then made to look like the, uh, the caverns or the caves that they were discovered in as well. And so again, but this, but you can kind of see that there on the edge. And so, but with this very quickly there, the central piece of the shrine of the book is the scroll. It's called the Great Scroll of Isaiah. And actually, it's actually made to look like a scroll. We'll go and show the third picture now, Angie, back to back, and then we'll come back to this one. It's made to look like an ancient Jewish Torah scroll. You can see that there. And those are still used in synagogue services today. And uh, so we have image of that. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But go back to that shrine of the book, if you would. So right there inside, that's wrapped all the way around. It's about 23 feet in, uh, you know, uh, what is that, circumference all the way around. And um, is, the, is a scroll of the book of Isaiah intact. And it was from that time period 2,000 years ago. And be, the reason why it was so important to... The, the, the Jewish community and also to the Christian community is because the majority of the Bibles, um, uh, especially at, at that particular time, and the one that I have here is the King James Version, it was translated from Hebrew text called the Masoretic Text. And the Masoretic Text was produced about 1000 A.D., so there's all the, all the critics of Scripture have always said, how do we know that what we're reading today is the same that they were reading a thousand years or even two thousand years earlier than this? Until this Bedouin shepherd threw that stone and shattered that jar and heard the sound and this discovery is made because after they began to, to examine it, they discovered 
that this scroll that was written about somewhere either within 100 years of the first century or 100 years after, right there in that time frame, they don't know exactly, that it reads almost exactly except for slight variations of spelling and punctuation as the Masoretic text that was written again or translated or copied a thousand years later, and now we're 2,000 years removed from that, and the book of Isaiah that you have in your Bible will read the same as that book of Isaiah that's behind that in glass case there. It's the central piece of the shrine of the book in Jerusalem. You say, Pastor, what does that really mean? It means that God has preserved His Word. That's what it means. It means that the very Bible that you and I read and we meditate on and we ponder is the very Bible that Jesus himself referenced. Jesus, Jesus quoted Isaiah. Jesus quoted, Did you know that Jesus himself validated the Old Covenant? We call it the Old Covenant. 24 distinct books of the Old Covenant Jesus himself quoted from in his teachings. And uh, about 31 of the 39 books of the Old Testament were quoted by the New Testament writers themselves. And so what that's saying to us is, again, is that all Scripture has been given by inspiration of God. And, and it's God-breathed, and God has chosen to preserve His Word. And, and it gives us great hope and great courage because really what it's doing is it's taking us back to the very beginning of Holy Script. When is the very beginning of Holy Script? That's what it actually means, Scripture, in the text. If you read the, the, the passage in 2 Timothy, all Scripture, if you go into the Greek, you'll see that it means Script or Holy Script. Where was the beginning point of Holy Script for the people of God? It was at the base of Mount Sinai. And I talk about it on a regular basis because as I've grown and matured in my faith, I have learned to see that as one of the most significant days in all of human history. Yes, we can look back to some days that were just paramount. We can see the Genesis. We can see the fall. We can see Abraham climbing up on Mount Moriah, laying his son out, a dagger in his hand, stopped by the hand of God. We can uh, see the, the flood. We can see all kinds. of. We can definitely think about Calvary, and we can think about the resurrection. But often overlooked is the significance of that day that the children of Israel were gathered around the base of a granite mountain, and God himself, the invisible omnipotent God, the God of heaven, stepped out of glory, descended into the earth's atmosphere in clouds, thundering and lightnings and fire until the people, their hearts failed with fear and God sat on the mountain. And when God sat on the mountain, here's what happened. God spoke audible words that two million men, women, boys and girls could hear him speaking and those words that were spoken that day, God would later, God would later call Moses up on the mountain into his presence, and God would take his finger and write on a tablet of stone. He write on a tablet of stone, and we call that today the Ten Commandments. But that's not all the commandments. That's some of the commandments. That's some of the Holy Script. And if you'll go to the book of Exodus, not now but later, when the Ten Commandments are written in Exodus chapter number 20, then you'll find that immediately in chapter number 21, Moses begins to give other commandments, other precepts, statutes to the children of Israel that dealt with their knowledge of God but also how to relate to one another. And he folds them together. And actually, I believe it's in Exodus 24, verse number 4, where it speaks of, it says, And Moses wrote all the words of the book. 
And so God was giving Moses divine revelation, and he was capturing it. At that time, he moved from stone. God wrote on stone, but Moses most likely wrote on parchment. And that parchment, go to, if you would, to that Torah for just a moment. That third picture, if we can, Angie, for just a second. We're just kind of bouncing these back and forth, if possible. It's very possible that sometimes that, that they wrote on papyrus. Papyrus was a plant that grew in Egypt, and obviously they had been in Egypt and just come out of Egypt. And so papyrus was along the Nile, and they would take strips of the papyrus plant, and they would, they would take it, and they would interlock it together like this and lay it out, and it would dry and, and once it was dried and smoothed over, then they could write. Because up until they discovered this, men were writing on clay tablets, metal tablets, or even stone tablets. And can you imagine a school teacher here today, if you had your child, you know, a group of, uh, of kids in class, and you say, all right, everybody, pull your tablet out. We're going to have writing. And they've got a wheelbarrow in there because they've got a lot of brick and clay tablets that they pushed all the way, you know, into school. And they start writing on those. And then you're talking about, you know, children are hunched over from those backpacks. Can you imagine if you had bricks in there? So that was a major discovery. Actually, paper is derived from papyrus. It's where the word comes from. And so, but Jewish tradition, Jewish tradition in the Talmud is that the Torah, the law of Moses, would be written on parchment. Parchment was leather, and you can see it there in the seams, either glued or sewed, but the Talmud demanded that it be sewn together, and it's on a scroll. And so, again, it's not in a book form. They call the book form codex, and codex didn't take place until the Roman Empire, and the early Christians actually evolved in their writings using codex, putting it in book form, but the Hebrews kept it in scroll form. And, I, and, there's, and I know you're saying, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, there's a little bit of meaning to that, and we'll catch it here in just a little while, but that following picture again, or that preceding picture where the shrine of the book, you can again see that scroll, and it just kind of connects to it for a moment because it was that that was given to Jesus. If you just for a moment of time from the book of Isaiah, the scripture tells us that not the book of Isaiah, but the gospel of Mark and also the gospel of Luke, that Jesus went into the, uh, to the, to the synagogue, as this custom was, and he stood up for to read. What was he reading? He was reading the scroll. It would have looked just, it would have been that right there. Not that exact text, but it would have been the same, uh, it would have been the exact text, but not that same actual uh, scroll itself, but the same information, and it would have been given to Jesus, and he was standing before the synagogue in Nazareth, and it was there, and in order to get to one place, you had to turn it with the left hand and turn it with the right hand, so as you moved it this direction, you had to move it this direction in order to find the text that they were reading. Are y'all following that for just a moment? That's the context for just a moment. The, I'm wanting you to see for a moment of how important it is for us to realize that the entrance of God's Word gives Gives light. And the children of Israel received something that day that is often looked down upon by the Christian community of our day, and it was called the Torah or the law of Moses. We as Christians oftentimes will say, Oh, don't put the law on me. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want, you know, I'm not under the law, I'm not under bondage. But the Hebrew people didn't view the law as bondage, the Hebrew people viewed it as light. Let me go to a few verses. Uh, we're going to highlight just a few verses in Psalm. Matter of fact, let me think for, for just a moment. Psalm 119, verse number 30 says, The entrance of thy words give what? 
Why? To the Hebrew people, when they first saw the word words, what first comes to their heart and mind is not the gospels. It's not the writings of the evangelists. It's not the apostle Paul writing by the aid of a scribe, giving us the revelation of Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. But it's rather that which Moses received with his time on God on the mountain. And so here's what the psalmist had to say about what we call the Torah or the law of Moses. And here's what it says. Let's read a few of those verses there, Angie. Uh, Psalm 119, verse number 1, if I can for just a moment. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Let's go a little bit farther. We'll read them on down quickly. God, give me understanding, and I'll do what? I'll keep thy law. I'll preserve it or observe it with my whole heart. Go a little farther. Unless thy law had been my delights, I would have perished in my affliction if God had not hedged me in. Let me tell you to a degree what the law was for the children of Israel. It was a yellow line and a white line. How many of you know that's an important part of traversing in life? How many of you know you need? Every parent has to give a yellow line and a white line to their children. If you don't give a yellow line and a white line to your children, your children will have no personal disciplines. Are you out there? And they will eventually fall into a life of lawlessness. And so God said, I'm giving you a law. And if you'll make it your delight, it'll keep you from perishing. Let's go a little farther. It says here, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. So the writer of Scripture here that says the entrance of the word gives light, when he said the entrance of the word that gives light, he's not just talking about the Genesis with the discovery of the creation of man and the Abrahamic covenant, but he's also talking about that moment there on Mount Sinai where God came down and gave Israel what we call the law. He gave us the teaching of the Genesis, Moses did. Then he gave us the Exodus, which is the record of Israel's deliverance from bondage. He gave us then the writings of Leviticus, which was instruction towards the Levitical priesthood and how to function in a relationship with God. Then he gave us the book of Numbers, which numbered the people, but also wrote about the wanderings of the children of Israel. But he culminated all the five books of Moses with the book of Deuteronomy. And that's where we're going to be here in just a moment. And you say, Pastor, I didn't know that there was such life in it for me today. There is as much life in Deuteronomy as there is in any part of Scripture because all Scripture, all holy writ, has been breathed upon by God and if you will receive it into your heart and life it will give you understanding and it will give you life it will change you and it will equip you to be the man or the woman that God has called you to be and let everybody said amen and amen and so I have been why would I mention Deuteronomy in the context of the Dead Sea Scrolls so in the context of the Dead Sea Scrolls of those uh, there were about two of the 800 scrolls, about 200 were almost intact. And of those, there was about 34 copies of Psalms, different Psalms, to the, that sect, many believe the Essenes, one of the four main sects of within Judaism at the time of Jesus. And so well, the Psalms were very important because they were worship. They were the worship manuals, the old hymnals that even we had in the Christian church. That's what the Psalms were. They, in, they, they inspired their prayer and they inspired their worship before God. And then, but the third, the third most of the books that were there was Isaiah, including the great scroll of Isaiah. But the second most populous book in all the Dead Sea Scrolls was the book of Deuteronomy. Now, why is that? What does even Deuteronomy mean? In the actual Greek language, it simply means 
the second book. And that's been argued theologically whether it should be uh, interpreted that way. But let me bring clarity. It's called the second book because it contains a a repeating of the Ten Commandments that's recorded. Are you all out there today? We are learning. You're with me, right? We're going somewhere with this here. I'm going to make it very practical for you in just a moment. So Moses here, when he gives us the book of Deuteronomy, it's at the end of his life. Remember, Moses had smitten the rock at Horeb twice and was thereby not allowed to come into the promised land, right? And so after the 40 years of wandering, Moses is only allowed to view the promised land to climb up out Mount Nebo and look over and see what God had promised to the children of Israel. He was forbidden to go in. Joshua, his servant, was going to bring them in. The book of Deuteronomy is actually, if you will, a review. It's a review of where they had been, where they are now, where they're going, and a reminder to keep the teachings of Torah. 200 of the the 613 commandments in the Torah are contained in the book of Deuteronomy. And in there, you'll find teachings related Godward. How many know that's important? We have to know how to worship God. You've heard me say many times, I'll say it one more time, it's the best I can do theologically for you, is that this is not Burger King, you can't have it your way. It's His way. If you're going to approach God, you got to approach God His way. If you're going to worship God, you got to worship God His way. He's God and you're not. Get that down in your spirit. If you try to make God something other than he is not, you have become an idolater. Even though you say, I'm not a a, a pagan, I'm not chiseling out of God, erecting it in a shrine somewhere, but we do that in the American culture. We may not do it actually out of physical, you know, clay or mortar or or marble, but no, we do it because we take the God of the Hebrews, the God of the the fathers of of Jesus and and the prophets and the apostles, and we make him into anything we want him to be. We make him a little idle. We just pull him out when we need him to be and and there. And then when we don't need him, we just tuck him away underneath the curtain. But let me tell you, that's not who God is. God is omnipotent and he reigneth in heaven. And he uh, he, he is God and he demands us to be conformed to his will, not conforming him to our will. Are you out there today? And the law, the law, the Torah gave insight to who God was. That's very important. And then... It gave insight to God's expectation for his people of how to relate to one another. It's very, very important. How many know it's very important to be able to have legality, how to know how to relate? It gives you, I mean, when you go back and you read the book of Deuteronomy and some of those other writings, you think some of those things, they seem very trivial, but they're not trivial. Things that like the, the type of clothing that you wear or what happens if, you know, there's cattlemen under the sound of my voice. What happens if my bull gets out of my pasture and gores somebody? What happens to that? You know, did he act wild before? If he act wild before and I didn't do anything about it, then it falls on me. If it was for the very first time and he leaped the fence because he just went wild and he hurt somebody, then I'm free of that injury. You can see how important that is to have some measure. And that's what God said. God said, I'm calling you to be a people, but you're not going to just do everything the way you want to do it. God said, I've got holy laws and commandments. And so that's why the psalmist is writing several hundred years later. And he's saying the entrance of the word gives life. 
it helps me. It helps me to live. It helps me to function. And so from this, as I was reading, I, as I saw that scroll, and when I saw that scroll that made me think of Deuteronomy, and when I was thinking of Deuteronomy, I said, I'm going to go back in my devotions over the last two weeks, and I'm going to reread the book of Deuteronomy. So I read part of it, and I listened to, excuse me, I listened to part of it as, as, as I was working one day until I read, went through the entirety of it. And there were four things that I took notice of, and we'll share three of them with you today and one next week to just kind of remind you of the, how that the entrance of God's Word will give light. And you are children of light. And you want to walk in the light. And you want to represent the light. And it's only because through you, He was the light of the world, but He's now in heaven. But now you're the light of the world. And this world that sits in darkness uh, needs to see a great light. But the only true light that they're going to see is through you and through your testimony. And if you're one way one day and one day way the other, they're not going to get a clear representation of who God is and His eternal love for them. But if you know you're the light and you're a child of light, then it doesn't matter. You're going to be the same. You're going to, you're going to let the Spirit of God work in you and you're going to be a bright and shining light. You're not going to be one way one day and one way the other way. Us pastors aren't going to be one way on the platform and then another way when we're amongst the people. No, because that's not who we are. We're children of the light. We're not children of darkness. We're children of light. I'm preaching myself happy in here today. Good gracious, alive. And so I caught hold of three things, and I'm going to draw your attention to them very quickly. And as we do, we're going to do two things. We're going to take the book of Deuteronomy, and then we're, so with, with, with the law, everybody's, oh, my God, our pastor is preaching about the law. He's putting us under the legalism of the law. No, absolutely not. And so we can talk all day about Paul defended the law and revealed the intent of the law. The only failure of the law was the people's inability to keep it. That was the only failure. And so what happened, though, religion and people began to pursue righteousness through the law. And if you kept every jot and every tittle, every command, then they would declare you righteous. Well, nobody kept it. So in one sense, nobody was righteous. But Paul, with great revelation, the entrance of the word had given him light. And Paul, the apostle, said this. The law was actually our schoolmaster. It was to point us to something. It wasn't that we might obtain righteousness. It was that by the law coming, we would discover that we are unrighteous. We're inadequate. We are in sin, debt to God. But then it reveals to us that rather than punishing us for our disobedience, God sent his son hung him on a tree, and laid on him the sin debt of us all. And so thereby God transferred the sin debt of every man, woman, boy, and girl to Christ so that you and I might have access to God. That's good preaching, isn't it, right there? And so with this, with that revelation, then that allows us to look Remember what Paul said, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. And when, Paul's, when Paul is writing this, he's, maybe he's thinking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't know if he is. But I can guarantee you he's thinking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's thinking about what he would have been taught because he saw Christ and Christ's teaching in the law. And you can too if you put the right lens on. And you won't become critical, and you won't become ritualistic, and you won't become pharisaical, right? But you'll delight in the law day and night. And you'll say, God, I just know because, I, let me just go, I found three things that I want to mention today. Number one, I'm going to shock you, this is what I found in the Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy, in the law of Moses, quickly today. Number one, I found love. 
Oh, what a terrible amen. Lord Jesus, I love them, you love them, but God, help them. Help our church family to have a, a, a more hearty amen at such a powerful point. The best amen I got that moment came from Sister Sherry right here on the front row. I said, when I searched the Torah, the, the thing that stood out to me over and over, did you know that love appears 16 times in the 30 chapters of the book of Deuteronomy? Love. Love. The greatest. Faith, hope, and love. Paul said the greatest of these is love. And when we think of love, often we think of our vertical love towards God. And it's part of our profession, it's part of a confession, it's part of what God put in expectation upon ancient Israel. And we're going to read this, it's Deuteronomy 6 and 5. It's a powerful verse of scripture, we're going to read it here. It says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. You know, that's a powerful exhortation. It was actually a command to Israel. And you'll find that over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy, there's an exhortation for the children of Israel to, to love the Lord thy God. But see, that's looking at it through the, in the wrong way. We're looking at it, if you're not careful, you'll look at it in the expectation that I'm to love God. That's not the first application of love. The first and the greatest revelation of the love of God is not that you love the Lord, but it's that he loved you. And when you have the light, come on now, the entrance of his word giveth light. Let's go now to another passage here in the seventh chapter. Now remember, he's talking to Israel, but we're filtering that to because we've been folded into the people of God, haven't we? So let's read this. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord chose thee to be what? A special people. We're going to talk about that in closing. Unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Verse 7. The Lord, not, the Lord God did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you are few in number. But catch the first part. He set his love upon them. He set his love upon Israel. Verse number 8. We're going farther into this. But because the Lord did what? He said it wasn't because of your merit, your value. It wasn't because you offered a lot towards the kingdom of God. It wasn't because God looked to all the nations of the world and said, man, Israel has got it all together. I'm going to choose to love them. No, they were actually in bondage. They were actually in sin. They were actually slaves. And God said, I love you. I loved your fathers, and I love you. Read verse number 9. We'll close this portion. I'll just connect it. Know, therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God. He's the faithful God. He keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments for a thousand generations real quickly the love of God it reciprocates yes absolutely we are exhorted to love the Lord with all of our heart mind soul and strength but if you look at the love as only through that lens you will forever be insufficient you've got to reverse the lens and see it through God's point of view and say it's not because I first loved him but it's because he first loved me and so as Israel was in the womb of Egypt I was in the bondage of sin I was dead to God. I was in my trespasses. I was away from God. I was filled with hate. I was filled with wickedness. I was filled with lust. But God so loved me that he hung his son on a tree. And he passed his sin debt, my sin debt upon him. So that I could understand that God loves not just the world, not just the cosmos, not just every person breathing. But God loves me. And when you have that revelation in your spirit, you'll get up every day of your life with a smile on your face. You'll get up every day and saying that the eternal, omnipotent God who reigns in the heavens and moves everything in the earth for his own glory, that God loves me. Hallelujah today. It will change your view of love. And because 
The entrance of his word gives light. I therefore love him. Hallelujah. And, and when, when I look, oftentimes, let me think for a moment real quickly. When people are thinking, oh, I see people blessed. And then we start looking, we start looking, we start thinking. I see God's handiwork in other people's lives, and I'm looking in my life, and I don't quite see it. If you need your countenance to be lifted up, you can't just look at your earthly life or the things around you, your present condition, to discover the love of God. You have to look to a significant moment. The most important of all, we preach and teach about it all the time. We've already sung about it. I've already preached about it. But it was the day that Jesus of Nazareth was suspended on a tree. It was there. You say, when, how do I know God loves me? Because God commended his love for you. That while you were yet a sinner, Jesus died for you. And I'm telling you, that causes the love of God to explode in your heart. And then I want you to know, then it becomes easy to have vertical love. It becomes easy to say, God, I want to follow you. I want to, I want to be who you call me to be because I understand how much you loved me and you called me. Number two, quickly today. The second word that caught my attention, 34 times in the book of Deuteronomy, the word keep appears. Keep. Keep not in house and, uh, and everybody said amen, but well, that's part of it. But it's keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. But there's one in which I want to note more clear, carefully real quickly. We're going to read this particular passage with, with keep. Here it's in, what is this? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 10. Read it with me. Verses 12 and 13. There's only three, and so you know I'm closing at three. And now Israel. So you've got to interject yourself with that. You've got to connect to it. You're not replacing Israel. You're joining Israel. What doth the Lord thy God require of thee? What does he require? He's already shown you his love. Come on. He's already telling you his love. Israel, Israel were slaves. They, couldn't, they, they, they would still be Egyptian slaves if it hadn't been for the love of God. You would still be slave to sin if it wasn't for the love of God. Right? And so, so now he said, so what does the Lord God require of you? Is there any requirement? that Since he's redeemed you, can he put a requirement on you? Yes. To fear the Lord thy God. To walk on all of his ways. To love him. To serve him, the Lord thy God, with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse number 13. And to keep his commandments. And the statutes which I command thee this day, catch the last three words, for thy good. For thy good. Is there ever a parent in here today, if you can't answer this, then you might have moved into abuse. But a parent that truly loves their children, discipline their children. Once again, the second worst amen in the history of this church for such a powerful statement. I'm going to say it one more time. If you truly love your children, you will discipline your children. Because when you do that, they will honor you when they are teenagers in public. So when you, when you love them, you discipline them. Well, God loves us. And he gives us commandments that are what? For thy good. And when you see that, then you read the Bible entirely different. You're not, you're not going, you're, a lot of times we're looking at the scripture's promises. And we're looking at, okay, man, this is all good. This is it. But what about the thou, thou shalt? There's a lot of good thou shalt. But then thou shalt not. We start skipping over that real quick. But then you know, no, no, because you love the Lord. And you're not afraid to embrace thou shalt not equally as much as thou shalt. Right? And you do it without legalism and you do it without bondage. You do it with saying, God, by the spirit of God that dwells on the inside of me, I want to strive to keep the things that have been revealed to me. We're going to kind of weave a couple. Of, I'm almost through preaching today, so I hope I haven't preached too long today. Let me check real quickly. 
not terrible, so God, give me a little more time here for just a moment. <laughs> Read this with me real quick, because I want to tie it. I got to tie it. There's only three today, but I, I want you to see this keep for a moment, because often we think, well, that's the Old Testament. That's the law of Moses. We're not under the law. Well, let's, go, let's see what Jesus had to say here. How many of you say, we are Christians, aren't we? What did Jesus, if you love me, now who wants to argue with that? And you can argue with whether or not I should be teaching, uh, you know, from the book of Deuteronomy, but if you are a believer in Christ, you can't argue with this one, can you? If you love me, what does he expect of you? Keep my commandments, right? Read it on down, verse 21, same chapter, John 14. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Actually, to be honest, on that day when we stand before God, I'm telling you, this is what I hear in the culture of America today. When we do this, we say this to, to, um, to try to make excuse for our sin. We say, and I mean, I'm talking about gross, and there are levels of sin. It's all sin, but there are levels of sin. And don't think that there's not. There are, I mean, I, there are some things worse than the other. I'm going to tell you that's the truth. It is. There are some things worse than the other. But people all the time say this, I'm sure that despite this, God still loves me. Now, that's not going to be an excuse when you stand before God one day. It's not going to be whether or not God loves you. He's already shown you he loves you. He's already revealed to you, I love you so much, I put your sin dead on my son. I watched him die until I couldn't stand it no more, and then I turned my back when he cried out and said, Father, why have you forsaken me? God so loved you that he hung his son there on the tree. That's established. The question is, do you love God? If you really love God, then you're willing to change every area of your life for his glory because it's also for your good. It's for your good. It's for your good. It's for your good. God, God loves you. He's not going to take anything away from you that's good for you. And he's not going to give you something that you shouldn't have. But we learn to trust the heart of the Father. Isn't that right? And so we thank God that God said keep. And lastly today, lastly in conclusion. I didn't find this word, but I found this principle distinct. So I found the word love. Found the word keep. 16 times love appears. 34 times keep appears in the book of Deuteronomy called the second book. The last of the five books of Moses. The final book of the Torah. The scroll. Are y'all putting it all together? The entrance of that word. Right? I was in darkness. I couldn't see. I didn't know where God was. I was All I knew was my own sin and my transgression. But then the entrance of his word came. And light and then I could know redemption, and I could know forgiveness, and then I could know fellowship, and then I could know grace, and I could know mercy, and then as I knew it, I could share it. Oh, I feel Jesus right there. As I knew it, and it was real to me, it became something that I could give away. I could give away grace. I could be merciful because he was merciful. I could show love to even the hardest of hardest people in my life because he loved me when I was hard. Are y'all out there today? And so I found, I found love and I found keep, but not necessarily distinct, that actual word, but I found words like special and chosen. And God said this to Israel, but it was, and so we're going to read that a couple of verses to make this more aware to you. Chapter 14, verse 2, once again, dear, thou art what? A holy people. He's chosen thee to be, I didn't want to call you peculiar. So that's why I didn't use the word peculiar, but for the King James English, it means a special, a distinct people unto himself. Above all nations. God didn't have to save you, but he did. He didn't have to choose you, but he did. 
He didn't have to choose Israel, but he said, I did. I chose you. And so then, and then it's again Deuteronomy 8. He said, and this, and this leads me into another passage. I've shared this. I'm closing. This is the final thing here today. So I've preached long. Please forgive me, but I'm going to bring it to a culmination point here in a moment. And this is what he told the Israelites. Remember, this is they're right on the edge of the, of the, of the promised land. And so Moses is, is reminding them. And when he's writing this, remember, it's the second book, and it's repeating some of the commands that are previously rewritten. And he said, when you go into the land that you're about to go, the land's not empty. There's a lot of inhabitants of the land. There are at least seven distinct nations of Canaan in the land, plus other people groups. He said, but you can't learn to do after the abominations of those nations. That sounds almost exactly like another passage of Scripture, Leviticus. Once again, you're going, oh, my gosh. Oh, our pastor preaches from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Are you kidding me? Yes, I do, because the entrance of his word gives light. The Lord spake unto Moses, and here's what Moses said. Look what he said. Speak to the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. Verse 3, catch this one. Now, so remember, remember now, tie this to Deuteronomy 8 and 19. He's telling Israel, he said, as you grow in your faith, you can't live like you used to live. After the doings of the land of Egypt. You can't, wherein you dwell. You can't do what they did. You can't think like they thought. You can't speak like they spoke. And you can't act like they act. And you can't act like the doings of the land of Canaan where I'm about to bring you. You can't do what they do and act like they do because they're a heathen folk. So that was the Old Testament. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with me here today as a born-again believer, child of God? Remember where I had you last week, Ephesians 5, verse 18, you're a children of light, right? I'm closing. Y'all stay with me. Chapter 5, verse 8 said, right, you're a children of light, walk as children of light, correct? But we started that conversation in Ephesians 4 and 17. Let's put it back on the screen, and we're going to read it real quickly. KJV, he said, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Paul's right there. So I want you to see Paul is a Jew. He's writing in the backdrop of, the, of, of his studies of the history of the Jewish people. He remembers Leviticus. He remembers Deuteronomy. As a Jewish male, he's been required to handwrite the entire law one time during his lifetime. So he knows the scriptures. And when he's writing to the New Testament church, he's creating within us the same image. As Israel was distinct from all the nations of Canaan, he said, then you're distinct from all the Gentiles or all the nations around you. And I'm telling you, it is so liberating in your life. It's so empowering in your life. It creates such purpose in your life. I know I'm walking across the stage a lot today, but I get empowered and I get emboldened in this revelation. When you know God called you, to be light in the earth. You don't have to say, man, where's my purpose? Your purpose is in everything you do, you honor God. Everything that you do, you live for him. No matter where you are, no matter who you're with, you're not changing it because of the company that you're around. If you pray with your family and then you get out in public and you're sitting down to eat and there's other folks around you say, but I do it with my family, but I'm afraid to do it now. No, no, if I do it at home and my family, I'll do it right here, right now in Jesus' name. It's not going, I'm not changing because I've been called of God, peculiar, special, distinct, separated from the world to look differently, act differently, talk different, and be entirely different because he has redeemed me from all sin, glory to God. And I love this. And so I went back and I looked this up in numerous translations and I mentioned it last week. 
And so I found that typically it's that word vanity there catches your mind. The other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. The verse 18, I think, in the King James said, because they have their understanding darkened because of the futility that's in their heart. But I was reading a multitude of, 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 of translations, and oddly enough, my attention dropped on the contemporary English version, which I alluded to last week. But I want to throw this up here at you today, because, you know, normally I don't preach from the CEV. But here's what it says. As the follower of the Lord, here's my sermon for you today. The wonderful people of Heber Springs First Assembly who are gracious enough to give me just a segment of your time and come in here, visitor, member, or adherent, and allow me to preach to you. I stand in the backdrop of the contemporary English version of the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. When I order you to stop living like stupid, godless people, glory to God. Some of you that get taken back but all of my King James language with my these and thous, well, there it is. That's as radical and that's as slang as I can speak to you today. God said stop living like stupid people that don't know me. God says stop living and acting and talking. Stop treating people like people that like you used to be because you're saved now. You've got my spirit inside you. The word's giving you life. You can't hate. You can't be evil. You can't be bitter. You can't talk bad about people because you're representing me. You are in the light. Walk as the light. You're children of the light. Glory to God. So stop acting. Stop acting like stupid, godless people. And then for the next 18 to all the way through the fifth chapter, Paul is just telling us. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in love. If you used to stow, steal no more. Right? Neither give place to the devil. Learn to treat one another with kindness. That's a complete transformation of your entire person. Why and where does that come from? I close today. Daryl's joined me on the platform. The words that the church family sits with bated breath every week for me to say, Daryl, please join me on the platform. But you should know that that doesn't mean he won't be up here with me for 20 minutes. <laughs> and he's willing to do it. I know, Daryl. I want you to put this together. Psalm 119, verse 130. Real quickly. The entrance of thy words give light. And it gives understanding to the simple. When his word comes in, change is produced inside you. You think on it. You read it. You meditate on it. You find yourself uncomfortable with the way you used to be. Is that right? Does, it, does that make sense here today? It, it just, you find yourself because you say, that, that's not who I am now. That's who I used to be. It's not who I am. You know, I can't, I can't. Does that mean we, we don't get angry? Yes, we get anger, angry at times. Does it mean that, that sometimes resentment doesn't try to rise up or bitterness or unforgiveness? Those, those are all human emotions and forces that we all Deal with on a regular basis, correct? All of us. But what it means is we don't come under bondage of those any longer. We don't allow them to dictate who we are. It means that, Joe said it earlier, we wrestle. We wrestle it out. The Spirit of God, the light within us begins to say, you know what, I shouldn't have said that to my wife. I shouldn't have shown her that type of resentment. I shouldn't have said that or this between husbands and wife. Or That means with a, if a parent... Was, was a little too fervent in his discipline, the necessary thing that children need. He was a little too fervent in it, and then the light comes in, and he realizes that he maybe went a little too far. He becomes humbled and goes back in, and he does everything to make things right. Are you hearing me? And, and, then, and then we don't make excuses. 
and we don't just repeat the cycle over and over again under this guise, you know, well, Christians aren't perfect, we're just forgiven. No, no, no. He said, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Don't make excuses before God. When the entrance of his word comes in and gives light, it demands change inside of you. But see, that change is going to work good for everybody around you. It will. It will. It will work good for you, your family, your house, your household. For the kingdom of God, the entrance of his word gives light. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed here today. We're just praying for just a moment of time today. Spirit of the Lord, I love you today, Father. And I'm gr- I feel so privileged to have been in this room today to share with a church family that I love so dearly and that are so carefully woven together with my heart. And I feel privileged to be their pastor. And I say that both to you, Father, but to them. And especially that they trust me to go to the Word of God and read and study and pray and then bring them something that's going to help them in their walk or their communion with you. And I... Father, you, maybe like Jeremiah, when you took Jeremiah in the 18th chapter and said, I want you to go down to the potter's house. I don't know. I found myself with a remote control in my hand, and I I saw something on the Dead Sea Scrolls, and my attention stopped right there. And I was reminded of the power of your word, the power that you, you said, I preserve it. See, not only did that clay jar preserve that word let me tell you but that that word will preserve that clay jar (laughs) did y'all hear that today because paul said this he said we have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of god and not of ourselves so i'm writing today god as i minister this word i'm not trying to bring people to where they write down the 613 commandments of the law on their wall and they're trying to check them off every day I'm just simply trying to encourage them to every day say, Lord, reveal your word to me. Let the entrance of your word give light. Your servant loves your word. Your servant wants to receive all that your word has. Correction, instruction, Father, direction in every area of my life. Father, let it be a stimulus from the word of God because the entrance of thy word has given light. I want to give a twofold invitation. It's very simple. I've preached to you a long time. I won't tie you up much longer, but here real quickly. Maybe there's somebody here today, and, and, and maybe I preach louder than preachers preach in this generation. Maybe I speak faster than a lot of preachers speak in this generation. I don't know. But through all of my verbiage that I have used here on the platform and all my antics, maybe if you're here today and you're a visitor among us, your heart is warmed, and you're saying, you know, Pastor, when you really talked about the love of God, some my heart, I couldn't get past it. I didn't even move to keep, and I didn't move to distinct. I was just stuck right there. How do I really know that God loves me? I want you to know today, God loves you. I'm not saying that because, oh, you might get a better job next week, or maybe somebody will send you a card in the mail. No. How do I know that God loves you? It's the same way I know he loves me, because he sent his son to die on the tree for me. And he sent his son to die on that tree for you. And he said, Pastor, can I really know the Lord? Can I really know that invisible God in a personal way that I can commune with him? And he's more than just God and becomes Father. Yes, you can. Jesus himself said this. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Listen, he said, He said, I knock. And if you'll open, he said, The Father and I will come into your heart and we will sup with you or we will fellowship with you. 
It's just that quickly. It's not checks or box, you know, or, or excuse me, checking boxes on a list. It's in essence just simply responding to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. If there's anybody, young or old alike, under the sound of my voice, that says, I need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, Pastor, would you pray with me? I'll pray with you right where you're at today. If that's you, quickly slip your hand up so I can have a visual awareness that you are saying, Pastor, I need Jesus in this house today. I need him. I need him today. Number two, I want to say, as you stand up with me, we're going to pray a closing prayer over you. I'm going to pray a closing prayer over you and your family. So I want to ask you, say, Pastor, I'm a member. Thank God that you're a member and part of this fellowship. You're an adherent, and you've been a part of our fellowship for a long time. But number three, today, even visitors among us today, I want to pray a simple prayer over you that the entrance of his word will give light. Isn't that powerful? I'm praying, listen, I'm praying what Jesus would pray. Did you know Jesus prayed the Psalms? That's what he prayed. He knew this passage. He would pray it over his disciples. I'm praying it over you. Pray it with me now. Join your heart together with mine. Father, God, today I pray, let the entrance of your word give light. Give us understanding. In all of our getting, let us get understanding. Let the Spirit of God reveal the word of God to us. Lord, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you will cause such a revelation of the love of God of keeping the word of God and being distinctly called of God to explode in the heart and the mind of every listener today. That this will be far more than a sermon, but this will be a life-changing moment like Israel was at the base of Mount Sinai. On this day, somebody may say, God came down. God came down to me, and the entrance of his word gave light. I could see differently after this moment. I, could, I, I began to treat people differently because I understood the way that God and what God expected of me. He empowers me to do. He doesn't just tell me to do it. That's why he sent his spirit into your heart is so that you would be empowered to do it. So God, today I bless every man, every woman, every boy, every girl under the sound of my voice, Father, that the entrance of your word will give light. And you will give understanding to the simple. And that we will hide the word in our heart and mind. We won't live like stupid, godless people. But we will live in the light of your word. And we will then reflect that light to the darkness. Shining this light into the darkness of this world. That others may see the same light that changed our lives as well. So I bless this people today in Jesus' name. And all God's children said with Pastor Brown, amen and amen. Thank you.